Welcome to the Digital Euro Podcast by the Digital Euro Association. In this podcast, you will learn about the disruption of technology in the monetary and financial system. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hello to the audience for the panel, the Digital Euro Legislative Proposal. What is the crux? And welcome to our great panelists, um, Daniel Sego, Brett Walton, and Dr. Cyrus de la Rubia. The European Commission, in collaboration with the Governing Council and European Parliament, published the legislative proposal on the establishment of the Digital Euro in June of this year. This legislative proposal aims to give legal ground for a digital euro for the 27 countries within the European Union. Quite an ambitious goal. The Digital Euro Association welcomes the proposal for regulation on the establishment of the digital euro. The digital euro can be a key driver for future financial services in the European Union, both as a complement to euro banknotes and coins and as a catalyst for innovation and competition in the EU. However, it is important to note that the implementation of a digital euro comes with challenges that need to be addressed. These include challenges around data privacy, cybersecurity, regulatory complexity, and the potential effects on the banking system. Policymakers must carefully evaluate these challenges to develop a digital euro that can effectively serve its intended purposes. Regulation should play a key role in helping to address these challenges. Furthermore, it is necessary that the proposed regulation on the digital euro is future-proofed and technology agnostic to maintain its validity when conditions changed. The legislative proposal for the digital euro is not only impacting the European Union, but will also set a precedent for other regions and countries seeking to explore and implement their own CBDCs. Let's take a look into the proposal. What is in it? The legislative proposal consists of 10 chapters about definitions, issuance of the digital euro, legal tender status, distribution inside and outside the euro area, the use of a digital euro, including the holding limits, which have been discussed quite a lot, technical features, privacy, and AML. In general, the DEA would recommend a more design-agnostic approach, as well as a deeper look into which further regulations and tools could support the definitions and implementation of a digital euro. Furthermore, it's essential to evaluate which competencies and roles should be allocated to specific institutions to avoid ambiguity and unnecessary complexity. Here are some general thoughts of the DEA. The proposal focuses very strongly on retail payment use cases. It is not clear how far these technical features are designed with the potential of more innovative future use cases. For example, micropayments, machine-to-machine payments, or payment infrastructure or security or for security tokenization use cases. Second, Given the complex nature of potential use cases, the development of, high level, of a high-level rulebook on the functionalities and use cases for digital euro should be taken into consideration to ensure consistency, smooth user experience, and privacy. And third, 
to foster trust and privacy and open an open source approach to the digital euro design is recommended at least granting read access to the source code of independent auditors regularly. Generally, we would also like to encourage a more user-centric perspective when deciding about specific digital euro designs and attributes. As the European payment market is very competitive, the digital euro needs to have a clear value proposition compared to existing forms of money in order to be adopted. We will now deep dive into the particular chapters and analyze whether the Commission is sufficiently and reasonably addressing the respective issues. Dear audience, you are able to ask questions in the chat. Please add the name of the speaker if you want to address the question to a specific panelist, and we will go through the questions after our discussion. Before we start with the discussion, I would like to ask our great panelists to introduce themselves. Let's start with Brett. Hi, yeah, I'm Brett Walton. I'm head of partnerships at Fluency. Uh, Fluency is a multi-CBDC and tokenized asset solution provider. Thank you. Daniel. So hey, hey everybody, uh, this is Daniel Sagu. I'm a software architect specializing, uh, I mean, dealing with distributed ledger and uh, digital currency projects for a while. Uh, basically, I was I was honored to participate in this uh, group work, in this working group for giving the, the commentary and the feedback uh, on the digital euro proposal in the, in the middle of the, of the summer. Thank you, and Cyrus? Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Cyrus Larubia, Chief Economist of Hamburg Commercial Bank. It's a German bank located in Hamburg uh, with uh, domestic and international business in, in real estate, shipping and infrastructure, including renewables, as well as corporates. Um, I think that the digital euro could be a platform for modern solutions in the payment area. And given that for most people, including many of our clients, the digital euro is still very abstract. It is necessary to do kind of educational work. So thank you very much for having me here. Thank you. So first question for everybody, starting with Brett. What was your first impression of the proposal? What are your key takeaways from the legislative proposal for the digital euro? Yeah, I mean, obviously echoing those uh, those comments from the DIA, um, but kind of in my personal uh, opinion, I think the, the proposal recognises the importance of actually developing the digital euro, um, you know, establishing a framework to facilitate its introduction and ensure a uh, successful implementation of the digital euro. Uh, this obviously reflects the growing interest and demand for digital you know, currencies right the way across the EU. Um, I think one of the key takeaways really is that um, the proposal emphasizes that basic services will be free of charge to citizens, um, will compensate intermediaries, uh, but also protecting merchants from potential, um, you know, overcharging, you know, monopolies, duopolies. Um, so I feel this approach aims, you know, to strike a balance between public accessibility and the fair compensation for service providers. Um, you know, overall for me, Uh, the proposal underscores the ECB's commitment to exploring and potentially implementing a digital euro, uh, while also considering various stakeholders' perspectives and ensuring the policy, uh, the project's sound design and governance. Daniel, what are your key takeaways? 
Yeah. Um, so actually, uh, my impression is that uh, it's. I mean, this this proposal is um, focuses on kind of a quick win. Um, so basically, it, it describes or it focuses basically on on well established technologies and ideas, uh, like mostly on on instant payment or or chip cards. It has it's of course uh, pros and cons. So like the advantage of the benefits that you know it's it can be it can be very fast uh, realized uh, practically uh, implemented the digital euro with practically minimal risk. I mean I mean technology risk like security and stuff like that. It's just because I mean indirectly what's what's behind the proposal these technologies are are again well established and and are on the market practically uh, for for long. Uh, the disadvantage that I see basically it's it's just kind of missing a little bit the the innovative innovative potentials uh, practically or it might miss the innovative potentials. It's like you know like like use cases like micro payments, machine to machine payments, uh, tokenized payments, uh, especially like with the possibility of integration perhaps in the future with like metaverse or DeFi. Uh, this is what's what's mostly mostly missing uh, and then. There's kind of a hint like for, for micropayments or machine to machine payments, if I'm not mistaken, but it's not very much detailed how it can be uh, basically realized. Uh, there's one innovative thing that's that's mentioned actually in the proposal that's the European Digital Identity Wallet, but it's uh, it's again pretty much in, in research as far as I know, and, and I'm not quite sure that's kind of a you know wallet uh, which is like probably verifiable credentials and it can be integrated with like a uh like a classical payment solution so it's it's questionable for me uh which which advantage uh or which future pot potential uh it brings so again that's my that's my brief uh again personal opinion again the the advantage uh pros or disadvantages cons uh of the proposal thank you and cyrus yeah, well, um, I think the European Commission has implemented a few markers uh, in the process. Uh, the keywords uh, are here, the ban on interest rate payments um, and the separate law to safeguard cash as a means of payment. Um, and I, I think that with both measures, the EU Commission uh, wants to encounter the fear of people that the ECB intention is to steal us our cash money uh, and to introduce negative interest rates again, like we did have uh, for many years. So it's more political. Its uh, intention is to dispel mistrust against the project, which certainly is necessary to make a success out of it. Um, apart from that, uh, together with a progress report, which was published by the ECB some months before, I think that the fog around the digital euro is gradually clearing. My feeling is that the project is finally, well, not 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 really entering its home stretch, but but it will take st still many years. But it's much clearer what we are heading towards, um, and and uh, obviously we will have pilot projects and and testing the technique and and so on. Um, but um, it's it's much clearer than before, and and overall, I see uh, the proposal is positive. There are critical points, yes, but um, overall, I, I would say it's it's a positive thing. Thank you, Brett. How is the proposal received by industry experts? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, following on from from Cyrus, um, you know, obviously a lot of work has been done thus far, and there's still a fair amount to, to obviously be concluded. Uh, but but generally, those that um, you know, certainly I engage with, um, you know, on a regular basis, uh, you know, there's been positive dialogue. I think, given the amount of work that's been done, if we're talking about today, um, you know, but from an overall perspective, um, the readiness from Europe and European providers uh, to develop you know, uh, the actual Euro, digital Euro solutions uh, has strong support from, you know, private sector, which indicates that a digital Euro can be smoothly integrated into the existing European uh, European payment, um, you know, landscape currently today. So from, from my perspective, in terms of those that I'm engaging with, yes, it's been positive, overcoming some of the challenges. And, and as I say, still still a long way to go, but um, but making making good grounds. Um, as I'm sure most are aware, our CEO, Inga Mullins, sits at the market advisory group with the ECB. So um, can appreciate how much work has been uh, has been put into to, you know, efforts to date. And Daniel, which implications does the proposal have for citizens and retail customers using the digital euro? Yeah, so so I would say that the that the primary use case at the mom moment is like like bank the underbanked. Uh, it's like like providing payment solution for those who are who are practically underbanked a little bit, uh, like on the market. Uh, there there can be like direct use cases as like as well. I would guess like you know like foreign students or refugees can just 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 directly uh, use the systems. And then, well, especially, I mean, if, if somebody has like a limited banking service for somehow, so I wouldn't really speak of like unbanked in, in Europe probably, but but like underbanked, uh, then then it can provide actually a better payment uh, experience, especially like uh, better providing like, like online and offline payment in basically one system. So if you just, you know, I mean, consider at the moment cash and, and online payment are just too two totally different systems, uh, not just technically, but from, from economic point point of view and then legally as well. I mean, this system could combine actually um, this payment experience in, in one, one system. Uh, last but not least, I would say uh, if it is good realized or if it is good formulated, it might be actually the basis for, for further payment innovation as well. And this might be actually, I guess, like, like more important than than just having like uh, even having like a you know I mean short and uh, digital euro payment solution on the market. What do you mean by further payment methods? You mean like other forms of a digital euro? Uh, I mean further further method uh, further, further pay, payment innovation. Uh, again, uh, so these are the these are the use cases that I mentioned previously. It's like micro payments, machine to machine payments tokenization, tokenized payment, uh, programmable payment, and so on and so on. Uh, these are what I consider as, as further payment innovation, which are still not uh, widespread, I would say, but I would say, but I mean, it's, it, it can be seen that this innovation will be coming in the, in the coming years. And you think the, the digital euro will be the tool for that? It can be the tool for that. Yeah, it can be actually actually a basis uh, and a tool for that. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Cyrus, which implication does the proposal have for merchants and banks using and working with a digital euro? 
Um, well, as you know, banks will have to onboard their clients, uh, enabling them to, to use the digital euro. Uh, this is a kind of new service, uh, which is good because it ensures that the customers stay with their banks. Um, obviously, it will, at the end of the day, depend on the service quality if the clients stay with their banks. Um, but in this context, uh, banks will need new hardware and software, and the same is true for the merchants. And, and I would say that the banks have to build up some know-how in this context to advise their clients um, in, in this respect. Apart from uh, that, in the banking sector, there is still some fear that the ECB uh, will build up, let's say, a payment provider which enters into competition with banks, meaning that the business of offering payment infrastructure and services around payments may vanish. Um, this may be indeed the case for plain vanilla payments, um, but I think the, the interesting business which is connected with uh, some profit margins for banks is not the payment service for retail clients, but with corporates and institutional clients. And here I think that tailor-made payment solutions are still a thing banks are in the best position to serve um because the ecb does not seem to be keen or interested to develop complicated payment solutions uh, uh, on an individual scale but only the base solutions on which banks can build their uh, solutions um, if anything competition will come from other non-bank payment providers but this is something uh, which is already happening today um, so this is in a way what is uh, one thing that is discussed more intensively among banks. Okay, thank you. Brett, how do you see the implications for offline payments? Uh, offline payments will be mandatory um, and will obviously take some time for commercial banks, payment service providers, you know, financial institutions to uh, actually implement. So that has to be a strong consideration. Um, you know, it, it could take 12 months, let's say, for, for you know, technology stack to be implemented into a commercial bank. Um, so it's it's something that needs to be considered, uh, you know, very soon in the near future by, by those, um, you know, entities and financial institutions. Um, I mean, ultimately, the implication of, um, you know, having an offline service not working uh, correctly is, is obviously that it doesn't work and people can't make payments, right? You know, and if, if that's the case, then how do the adoption rates then, uh, you know, the uptake on adoption rates, people will just get frustrated and, and will not want to, you know, use it in those scenarios where perhaps you don't have a mobile signal or, you know, the merchant for whatever reason, uh, you know, terminals are down or could be in, you know, an underground or remote parts, even in, you know, Central Europe where connections are very strong, um, you know, these outages and issues do happen. So, um, yeah, adding some form of, uh, you know, correct technology to enable offline payments is going to be paramount for those, um, you know, both as consumers and, and providing um, CBDC services. What would be a correct technology for that? Well, perhaps being slightly biased, um, you know, with our dual offline consecutive payments, and that's something we focused on, um, you know, very early when designing um, our solution, Orium. Um, but, but for us, the reason why we built that in both having the, the payer and payer would be offline is that there are no implications for, for either party paying. So, um, you know, making sure that both can be settled offline consecutively 
and then at a point of then coming back online or even within hopefully the API or the stack or, or the wallet, um, the software itself, you can actually see whether or not you're offline, offline, uh, online, where those transactions actually took place. Uh, and if that offline transaction has then been settled online, um, and, and you can see that that's actually taken place in both being a consumer and also, um, you know, on the other side, being a merchant, knowing that those payments have gone through successfully and it is robust. So um, that was a huge consideration for us at the start, making sure that uh, that, that has been implemented and works within our stack. So um, trying to be unbiased, um, you know, <laughs> for, for the purposes of this, but um, yeah, so any, any sort of institution or merchant um, that is going to be having some form of solution needs to make sure that it's dual offline and can be executed correctly. So do you think like an offline transaction has to be settled sometimes online as well? Or do you think it's like two different cases? You have an online um, transaction and an offline transaction. And how do you see this, this topic um, described in the proposal? So yeah i mean obviously the proposal is is basic at this stage um you know for the ecb to to offer those services i think that's really where the innovation will come um you know as, as daniel said you'll have digital euro 1.0 iteration and then there'll be additional iterations on top of that as well as how um you know those psps evolve the fintechs evolve and the services that they provide either directly or white labeled um but talking specifically in terms of, of our approach and, and how we're doing it at Fluency is that within the wallet, you will see that there is an offline transaction. So if I walk into a coffee shop at you know 8.30 in the morning and that transaction has been settled offline, I know that that transaction was offline and then it has will go from offline to then read online to know that the payment has been settled online. So there's, there's a few ways of doing it and, and looking at it from a um, a consumer perspective, like for myself, if there are any question marks over whether or not I did or didn't pay and my bank's calling me and saying, well, hang on a second, that that coffee purchase you made or whatever purchase it may well be in the department store didn't go through, I can then go back and say, well, hang on a second, I have the offline record here that that was settled offline. And as, as far as I can, you know, as concerned as the consumer, that transaction has gone through. So it's at the, you know, the, the back end where the problem is. Um, and then there could be the, the option whereby I paid in the department store, you know, in, in a lunch break and then came out and came up from the lower ground floor to, to, to ground level. I've walked outside and then 10 minutes, I can see that that's gone from offline to online. So um, yeah, there's a, there's a few ways of doing it, but, but talking about, um, you know, our approach specific, you know, specifically, that's, that's how we will do it. Okay, because I understand the proposal um, in a way that it says offline payments will not um, be integrated with the online payments so that we have like two different types of payments and they will be um, separated. Correct. Yeah. But that, as I say, that's from the initial basic services, right? I'm talking, you know, how will that be integrated within a commercial banks or your PSP and how they will then show that. But um, but yeah, there'll be then, as you say, from the proposal, two, two iterations, the first iterations of offline, and then it will go to the second iteration for, for the merchants um, as, as the digital euro progresses. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Daniel, does the legal proposal imply a user-friendly digital euro? And if yes or no, why or why not? 
Yeah, so so let me put it that way. There, there are some some concerns basically, and then um, so first it, it might be like you know I don't know weird to to speak of like user experience of of a money or of a digital money, uh, but I mean it's it's like more important than than in other practically software. Uh, it's because you know I mean money is basically like a social construct. So if it has a value if people use it. If if nobody uses, then it 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 will not have a it will not have a, uh, any value practically. So I mean, for this reason, it's just just more important to have basically something which is a good user experience. And I don't you don't actually mean by uh, by the by the user interface itself. I just uh, what we what we what we thought basically is that the the core logic might be confusing, and that's because there are just too many different use cases. Like we got account limits, we got uh, shared multi-person accounts, we got like one person having multiply accounts and of course limits. We got like offline and online money and so on and so on. So, uh, I mean, the concern raises if there's like a transfer and then in like every in, in every five use cases or, uh, or transfers, uh, we got like an error message that something went wrong. Uh, it is something which is a bad user experience. So again, I don't mean of like the you know, user interface or if the user interface should be fancy. I just mean of the core logic, uh, which is formulated by the proposal. And then uh, considering these use cases as well, I mean, I mean, of course, privacy might be a question as well. Privacy is relatively good formulated, but considering these these complex use cases, uh, actually, it is a little bit like like questionable uh, if it can be really set up in a way as, 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 it is, as it is formulated, basically. So again, this is what we mean of of, of user friendliness, having the all of these these different use cases combined in one consistent system. Uh, so so at the end of the day, the the, the customers don't get like you know felt transfer in in every every fifth transactions that what i uh, that what we mean or that what i mean as user friendliness and, and there are some concerns basically if the proposed system uh can be really realized in a in a consistent user friendly uh manner um so for this point actually we just propose to to set up like a rule book uh covering all of these use these use cases and all of the combination of these use cases somehow in a in a matrix or 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 in a consistent way uh so that's what we mean of uh of user friendliness or user experience of the digital euro itself thank you cyrus you coming from a bank knowing a lot about user good user experience what do you think does the legal proposal imply a user-friendly digital euro um well, it's I think a little bit too early to call because um, it's it depends really on the technical way to implement it and and uh, I think the the interface is is quite quite important and uh, obviously a fancy interface which doesn't work it does not help um, so um, the the all those things which are going on behind have to to work um, but this is as as a non-technical guy, uh, I would say it's not decided by the law itself, but by the by the people uh, who will uh, provide the, the the hardware and the software. So um, I, I would say it's 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 a little bit too early to call if if this will be a user-friendly digital or, uh, euro. But 
uh, I, I'm sure that the ECB is, is very much interested that it is a user-friendly digital euro, because this is uh, the main key to, to find enough acceptance and, and to make the digital euro a success. Thank you. Another point that has been discussed by the banks, as you said, they will be the one who will might distribute or may they will be part of the distributors uh, of the digital yeah. euro. Um, at the same time, there will no it's uh, the, the law says or the proposal says there will not be any fees for basic services. Do you agree with the fee regulation proposed or not? What would you consider? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that with respect to fees, there are two issues uh, here to be discussed. The first, what, what you mentioned is that the use of the digital euro for the end user should be for free. And the second is that merchants should not be burdened with excessive fees uh, when they uh, use the, the, the digital euro or when they accept the digital euro. So as to the first, I, I think it, it would be a no-go if the use of the digital euro, which is sold as a substitute for cash, um, would involve additional additional costs. Um, so this would be very bad for for the acceptance. And, and um, uh, so it is good that the law says that citizens do not have to pay for using the digital euro, even if obviously there are costs involved, uh, like it is the case when issuing cash money too. Um, the second um, issue or the second proposal that, that merchants should not be burdened uh, with uh, excessive fees means, in my interpretation, that the fees should not be significantly um, uh, uh, or not, should be significantly lower than those which are, are asked by private uh, payment providers. So this is, a, let's say, a direct attack on MasterCard and Visa and, and PayPal. Um, it does look perhaps like an unjustified state intervention, which is discriminating foreign capital. However, uh, I see this step as, as rather rational. Uh, it would be naive to think that private payment providers were not striving for a monopolistic position in this market. Uh, the payment area is, is living from a network effect. So uh, this is a very clear possibility. Um, and we know it from other tech companies which are doing business in, in network um, areas. Uh, that once such a monopolistic position has been attained, it could be misused by increasing the fees to, to new levels. So I think the public sector has a, has a right to implement a public payment system in the form of the digital euro with controlling the fees in a way. And uh, I think it's at the end of the day, it, it should be in the best interest of, of citizens and, and the business. So you think um, the digital euro will become a competitor of MasterCard and Visa? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, that's one, in a way, one basic idea to have a unified payment system um, which ensures that the competitors, which are partly and mostly from abroad, um, will not get a monopolistic position. I see. Do the others agree? 
do we need a European solution um, to be more competitive or to have less fees and be more competitive uh, in the payment landscape in Europe? Brett? Yeah, I believe so. You know, I guess, um, as you say, with a monopoly duopoly, that it, it, just taking it outside of within payments, but but within any industry, um, obviously, there normally comes uh, an association with with fees and kind of having carte blanche on what you can charge, right? So um, encouraging competition, um, potential undercutting or, or an increased level of service, um, hopefully will be beneficial for, for all involved. So yeah, I, I echo what, uh, what Cyrus had said. And Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically, I agree. Uh, so, like, you know, I mean, I mean, money and payment is pretty much like the the basics of like the the economic. So, I mean, yeah. So, so cheaper, uh, cheaper payment solution or more com uh, more competition in 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 payment solutions. You know, it's it just just can't be wrong. Uh, but then we are discussing uh, holding limits. Is this will this imply some kind of um, hurdle to to be a competitor to MasterCard and Visa, or will the holding limit no. be helpful for that, Cyrus? Well, I think um, it's about fees in the context of making payments, and um, it's not about. Uh, being a competitor to to Visa in in distributing loans, uh, that's not. It's it's about payments, and uh, uh, and so far I don't think that that this would require having holding limits or 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 adjusting or having higher holding limits than the ECB or the EU Commission is envisaging. Um, uh, I don't see a contradiction here. I don't know, know if the other participants uh, have a different view on that, but uh, I don't see a contradiction here. So the citizen uh, will pay with the digital euro, even though there's a holding limit of, let's say, 3,000 euro. Um, yeah, yeah, you have the, these, this waterfall uh, solution. Which which means that if you pay, for example, four thousand, uh, then you take out automatically a thousand from your bank account, and then you transfer four thousand, and the one who received the four thousand, their one thousand or what is going above the limit is going automatically into the bank account. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's very concentrated on on the on the uh, on the transfer. And in the context of, of corporates, as I understand it, the, the limit is at zero. So it's all a kind of waterfall solution. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, there, there the digital euro payment system will be competitor to, to Visa and MasterCard. Mm -hmm. Let's stay with the holding limits. Um, Daniel, you said the use case of holding limits will complicate um the whole structure infrastructure and like the use of a digital euro what would be your solution no holding limits
you're on mute. Uh, so sorry, was it me? It's just uh, I just broke for a second. Yes, please. Um, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so, so the point is again, uh, I mean, this this holding limit, especially considering with with like other use cases, it's just just too complicated. So, so I mean, I mean, the only concern uh, that we got if if there's if there's the possibility at all at all to design a system uh, which is you know consistent, usable, even easy to use, and so on and so on. So. Um, and then, especially the holding limit, uh, which makes which makes the things difficult. As, especially if you want to have like holding limit for one account, holding limit for multiply accounts, uh, which is owned by one one person, uh, holding limits for online and offline payments, holding limits for for accounts that are owned by by multiply uh, persons, uh, people, and so on and so on. So this is what what makes things uh, actually uh, more complex. But there might might be that I mean there can be a good system designed uh, nevertheless. So what we were brainstorming actually a little bit in the working group if if there could be another way because I mean the the motivation behind holding limit uh, is to limit the store store of value functionality of money uh, not to disintermediate dis intermediate the, the 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 banking system practically or not to compete with the banking banks. Uh, so the question was if there can be a functionality which which efficiently uh, limits the store of value functionality of the money without introducing holding limits. And then ideas are like you know uh, setting like a hyperinflation to a coin or setting a time limit for for the money and so on and so on and so on. Uh, but this is very much you know. It was just just a brainstorm, so I I wouldn't say that that like holding limit is is wrong. It's just we were a little bit like considered if there's a possibility to to limit the store of value functionality of the money uh, without introducing uh, holding limits uh, again. And the ideas is like like hyperinflation of the coin or somehow time limit of of the coin and so on and so on. Well, well, there is. There is one solution which which would be to implement um, a tiered system where you say, okay, three thousand are without interest rate, and and afterwards you have to pay fees or a negative interest rate. Uh, you you can name it like you like, um, and um, if there is stress in the banking market and and uh, people are uh, withdrawing their bank uh, their money from their bank accounts and putting it to their um, digital euro account then the ecb could theoretically increase this fee uh, above the threshold and um, so so requiring a higher negative interest rate and this would then um, discourage people from putting money transferring money private money to the to the digital account um so this was an early idea which which uh, even came from from the ecb itself but uh, obviously uh politically it, it seems to be too hot or i i don't know and so uh, they have decided uh, or now proposed by the eu commission that uh, to skip this uh, idea altogether and to, to stick to zero interest rates and a holding limit. 
Um, and and perhaps it's politically wise to do so. Um, in economic terms, I would say it would have also be a solution to to um, to have um, holding limits in combination with a with the possibility of a negative interest rate. The 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 thing here is that, um, and it's a caveat, let's say, um, that it's not so easy to tell the people, hey, you get a digital euro, which is kind of a substitute for cash money. And at the same time, you say, but you can only hold 300 or 3,000 uh, euro in it. Uh, so then the people say, okay, but what's, you tell me it's a substitute? No, I can hold 10,000 or 100,000 in, in cash money. So it's not a substitute. Um, so this is a kind of problem when it, uh, we are talking about acceptance. Um, and, and the ECB and the EU Commission seems to have find this kind of compromise, um, which maybe is wise. I, I'm not sure, uh, but but uh, um, that's that's what I, they found as as a solution. But then at the same time, I ask myself, how will they control the holding limits? Um, especially if digital euro users are allowed to have several accounts, um, how will they update the holding limits? And um, I will I ask myself who will be collecting what data to be able to um, control the holding limits, right? What is your opinion on that, Brett? Uh, equally asked the same question as well, Hansapi, you know, so at this stage, yet yet to be concluded. So, um, you know, equally the, the holding limits have been put in place for a reason to obviously safeguard as, as discussed. Um, personally, in my opinion, I think as people adapt and become familiar with digital euro payments and the market has evolved, in my opinion, I believe that those holding limits will be removed um, personally. But, you know, let's let's see how things evolve. Um, obviously, the Bank of England are looking at it slightly differently in terms of, um, you know, their, their holding limits as well and, and being at a higher level. Um, and as different central banks progress with it as well, I think, you know, different, you know, holding limits will, will vary across different jurisdictions. Um, but if the adoption's there and, and you know, once the uptick in, in knowledge and, and how these things will work, um, and generally, I think looking at the digital yuan um, of the multiple hundreds of thousands, millions of transactions that have taken place, I think the average, um, don't quote me on it, but I think the average is about $262 um, per transaction. So, you know, are people really going to be spending that much money on a regular basis and, and is, you know, is it purely for for smaller transactions on a on a day to day basis so um, to be concluded i guess taking up the chinese model and the fear of a lot of citizens about like the digital euro being a control tool for the government to look into the transactions of people and to be able to um, yeah, stop the payments and to to see who is paying what. Daniel, do you think that the proposal is protecting the data and the privacy of the digital euro user enough? Yeah, so so I would say, I mean, I mean, the 
I mean, there's there's an extra emphasis on on on, on privacy issues in the proposal, um, especially like uh, personal data, and it's probably not a coincidence. I mean, I mean, it's it's just you know, usually usually there's not very typical to have like so many privacy questions in a in a in a proposal in a in a legal proposal. Uh, but basically, I mean, I mean, it is proposed that basically there are like like two 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 layers. I mean, the on online and the and the offline payment, and the offline payment is has cash like privacy. Uh, that's like uh, ex explicitly emphasized uh, in the proposal. And the and the on chain, I mean, sorry, online payment um, should be visible practically to the to the sender and the and the recipients uh, payment service provider and and practically the payment and the and the recipient uh, for the first one. Uh, that's that's how it is very strongly uh, emphasized. Uh, it's like the European central banks or or any central banks should not see basically uh, personal data uh, for the transact transactions. Uh, so this is this is pretty well formulated. Uh, we raised some concerns if it if it can be really done, uh, and especially in terms or regarding with the with the with the with the account limits. It's because uh, I mean, um, considering the account limits and that that people can have accounts actually at, at multiply uh, payment service providers, at at initiating a transfer, basically there should be somehow queried uh, multiply payment service providers. Uh, how big is the you know is the limit of a certain person? Um, so it might raise some some privacy issues, uh, and it's questionable if it if it can be realized. There are probably ways like, you know, I mean, advanced cryptographic, cryptographic technologies like, like uh, zero knowledge proof, uh, homomorphic encryption and, and stuff like that, that can be, that can be capable of doing something similar, but, you know, I mean, it's, so the, the realization uh, of the, of the multiply accounts and account limits and the, and the proposed uh, privacy is, yeah, it's far from be, being trivial, I would, I would say. But certainly, it's it's very far from the Chinese model, I would say. Cyrus, what is your opinion on the data protection of the digital euro user in the proposal? Um, yeah, it's. I think that technically, uh, the ECB has certainly ways to to get those information uh, about signal transactions. Um, and, and, and so far, you need some legal uh, proposals to protect the clients, which uh, I would expect very much that this will be done. Um, apart from that, we should have always in mind that when talking about, I don't want to give my data to other institutions well we give our data every day to the banks uh, when we are doing payments um, so um, it's 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 not that we are making anonymous payments uh, in in the today's payment system and that the digital euro would be a, a complete change in this respect and in addition if um, the the state have some uh, suspicion that uh, there is uh, money laundering or terrorism financing, then obviously he can 
and will in the future also have uh, access to, to the data. Um, so I would not over-dramatize this uh, uh, private issue uh, and, and uh, expect very much that uh, the ECB and, and the, the European Commission uh, legal proposal will, at the end of the day, when it will be uh, decided, have quite strong um, yeah, implementation that, that uh, there is uh, data protection happening um, with these, uh, let's say, um, exceptions of uh, looking into the data to, to a deeper degree when, when illegal things are happening. Thank you. Which articles or nuances in the proposal would you like to see changed and why, Brad? Um, I don't actually have any personal uh, preferences on any of the articles that, that should be changed. Um, I guess we've we've obviously covered most bases, but um, you know, as my general personal um, considerations, I really think that you know privacy and data security um, is paramount. So not only like for me, you know, I'm not uh, doing any illicit activities. So for me, it doesn't matter if I've you know spent five you know euros on a coffee. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if my bank or, or the ECB see that. Um, it's more so having, um, you know, a data breach or a leak. Um, but, you know, that being said, um, certain airlines, you know, have data breaches, et cetera, as well. So that, that would be my concern, that, that making sure that there's a, a robust technology to make sure that leaks don't happen more so in terms of what I or a consumer is spending on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, Obviously, the inclusivity of that, so um, making sure that there's provisions for a digital euro to be um, included for, for those um, that, you know, that digital literacy, uh, you know, accessibility is, is paramount as well in financial inclusion. Um, a, a big thing as well is, is interoperability, um, so making sure not only can you know, digital euro move within the EEA. Um, it can be moved globally with also other digital assets um, as well to, to maximize adoption. Um, again, going on the back of the kind of privacy, that's twofold. Um, I would say so consumer protections to, to safeguard those from fraud, scams, um, you know, anything else that could be associated with, uh, with digital currencies. Uh, another thing that we've covered is, is competition and market structure. So important that there isn't a monopoly or duopoly and there's a level playing field for, for various service providers. Uh, cost efficiency as well. So to make sure that um, implementing and maintaining a digital euro is, is cost effective. Uh, having legal clarity as well. So having a solid foundation within the proposal to make sure that uh, you know a potential digital euro um, has the relevant legal clarity, um, international implications as well, so coordination with other central banks. Uh, and equally, as, as things evolve, and no doubt there will be challenges and, and hurdles for, for the digital euro and um, you know, the banks and the consumers and the merchants, um, is, is that continuous feedback and stakeholder input so that those potential um, you know, teething problems can be overcome um, and that ultimately is you know the the maximum adoption and that uh, perhaps in you know five six years time we're all we're all running around spending a, a digital euro quite seamlessly so um that would be the ultimate goal so um yeah just just my my kind of reflection on on the proposal 
Thank you. Cyrus, is there something you would like to see changed in the proposal? Um, yeah, well, there, there were many things that were already talked about and, and I've uh, uh, made the point already about uh, the, the storage issue. Um, I have a certain preference to, to, to have um, no storage limit, but something that is priced so that people can decide how much they, they would store because then you had, would have more kind of, of real uh, money they are uh, familiar with. Um, in addition, um, the point that, that uh, an interest rate will not be allowed is, is a kind of uh, thing that uh, means that the ECB um, has uh, or it's, it's a missed opportunity in, in, the, in terms that um, with interest rate on uh, the CBDC, the ECB would have a more direct tool to steer the economy and therefore also inflation. Um, because uh, the, the transmission process in, in hiking or lowering the interest rate uh, on CBDC would uh, immediately translate into the, the spending um, behavior of, of consumers. Um, so this um, is something that now this option is not anymore there. Um, and, and finally, the, the, the other issue is, is that um, I don't see any sign that the digital euro would be compatible with any kind of, of blockchain. So uh, I think it's, it's, it would have been a chance to give a boost to the tokenization of assets. And um, uh, this is also kind of missed opportunity, especially considering, considering that uh, uh, there seems to be um, a big mistrust against any kind of stablecoin project uh, as it is seen as competition to the digital euro. So everything you hear from the ECB uh, with respect to stablecoins is, in my perspective or my view, uh, a lot of mistrust which in a way is justified because we had some stablecoin projects which were not stable after all. Um, but the, the basic idea uh, of having a stablecoin as a settlement coin, which enables tokenization and, and uh, provides a platform for innovation, um, I think this is a good idea. Thank you. And Daniel, how about you? Yeah, so so I mean we already covered a couple of, of very good points and, and and I absolutely agree with these points. Uh one one thing uh that I might raise uh that I mean I mean it's my opinion, but somehow the proposal is I would say it's not it's not technology agonistic enough. So it, it focuses very strongly on on requirements of 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 a possible instant payment system. Uh so so and and I fully agree that I mean I mean on the short run uh, that's the that's the fastest way of of realizing digital euro, uh, you know just just having the existing uh, and 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 old technologies that's the fastest and and that's the uh, lowest risk approach, but on a on a legislative proposal side I mean I mean the proposal itself might be more more technology agonistic in a way that that basically it allows not just like you know. 
account-based instant payment systems, but basically tokenized money as well. And even if it comes only on the long run, so it, it might happen that the first version is like, you know, classical uh, trial technologies with instant payment, but there should be at least a possibility that on the long run it is it is migrated to, or uh, or, or 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 improved to a to a tokenized payment system. Uh, and I would say that's that's what missing a little bit. Uh, if if the if the proposal is like like less technology agonistic a little bit in a way uh then then there might be a possibility uh you know just uh just to consider at least on the long run uh tokenized uh payment solutions as well thank you we will now open uh for questions from the public and i have here the first question um Regarding offering retail CBDC with attractive fees and services for the end consumer, wouldn't that make the central bank compete with the commercial banks and disintermediate the banks? Cyrus, I guess that's your question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I tapped this, this uh, subject already in a way. Um, I think that, that banks... Uh, with respect to, to the plain vanilla, to, to normal, let's say, retail payments are not even doing a lot of profit with. Um, the profit is, is more done with respect to payments which are more tailor-made for corporates and financial and, and, and um, uh, other institutions. Um, so institutionals uh, like pension funds or or uh, insurance companies and so on, and um, I think the the ECB is providing mainly a platform, a payment platform and basic solutions, um, and this is can be taken and will be taken as. Uh, a platform for do innovations and for for make tailor-made solutions for the uh, the clients and so far i believe that banks will be able to uh, stick to this uh, business model and to um I, i would not expect um the ecb to compete with with banks in this area okay Now a question for all panelists. PayPal announced the launch of a US dollar denominated stablecoin, PayPal USD. Would you expect something similar like PayPal Euro? What would this mean to the digital euro by ECB? Brett, let's start with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, as, as Cyrus has mentioned, um, you know, the, the stable coin uh, in, in any form um, and has been mentioned by, um, you know, Fabio Panetta in terms of uh, not, not being a, a preference in terms of, you know, PayPal stable coin and the challenges that have already gone ahead with, with previous stable coins obviously not being that stable. So um, I see a place still within the kind of digital assets bucket for stable coins and cryptocurrency, but, um, but, you know, ultimately for kind of wholesale and retail, um, majority of payments will be in the form of, of a CBDC digital euro, um, in, in my opinion. So I, I guess the advancements need to 
continue in that area um, and there needs to be consumer um, reassurance that, that those stablecoin offerings are actually stable. So um, yeah, it may well form into um, just, you know, their, their generic stablecoin across different denominations, USD, Euro, but um, but yeah, no doubt, you know, no doubt PayPal are obviously a, a huge entity um, with a lot of resources. So no doubt they will continue to advance. Again, hopefully for, for all involved, because future innovation um, will hopefully enable um, additional things. And as I always say, you know, we were all familiar with our, you know, Nokia's, you know, many years ago and, and thinking it was great to text each other and, and being able to play Snake. But um, but now when we look at our Androids and, and iOS, the, the things that we can do, um, you know, with our devices is incredible. So um, allowing payments to come to the forefront of that as well is uh, is going to be a good thing, in my opinion. Daniel, what do you think? Yeah, so so economically, a stablecoin is is like a, is a much much higher risk asset than than a central bank money, of course. You know, it is at least like two times riskier because I mean, on the on the one hand, even if we speak of like a fiat backed uh, stablecoin, uh, I don't speak about like you know algorithmic stablecoins or crypto backed stablecoins because you know that's wide west. But even if you speak of like a fiat backed stablecoin, which is issued by by regulated financial institutes. Then first, I mean, the question is if that pack can be held between the fiat money and the stablecoin itself, even if that's a, the issuer is a regulated financial institute. And on the other hand, there's, you know, I mean, I mean, if we speak of fiat money, that's like practically a kind of a private money, uh, which is maintained, which is backed by central bank money and maintained the pack uh, somehow. Uh, so this is like like two times the risk factor, I would say. Uh, if we speak of like you know direct liability of the European Central Bank, that's the that's the lowest risk asset asset or money that's that's possible practically. But the point is that people don't know it, uh, so so people just use it because you know you get like fancy I don't know Android or or iPhone app, uh, so they don't see the risk factors behind these behind these stable coins. And then, yeah, sure. I mean, there's a risk that you know. I mean, I mean, stablecoin gets like much faster uh, wide widespread adaptation than like like CBDC, uh, especially if like you know such technology providers can can push that very strongly. Thank you. Do you agree? Uh, I, I wonder. I wonder what what is going on in the United States because when I remember that uh, Facebook uh, launched its its, its Libra, uh, Libra proposal. Uh, there was so much resistance against it, and and the the speaker of of um, of Libra was was grilled in the Congress, and and uh, at the end of the day, they they did give it up. Uh, so and and it uh, saw no no chance to get it through. And now, well, it seems that PayPal easily announcing this and and going forward with it uh, step by step and, and nobody is is uh, saying something uh, or at least nothing that i have seen um so even though the chance of having a similar reach well they have not 2.6 billion people but but 450 or something million so it's it's quite a vast amount of, of people which uh, can be reached with it and uh, so I'm, I'm 
yeah, I'm, I'm quite uh, uh, some question marks in how far the regulator is doing something here or not. Uh, and and apart from that, uh, uh, I, I don't see a big chance of stable of of PayPal to implementing its stablecoin here in 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 Eurozone. Thank you. Next question. Credit card agencies normally don't charge the consumer and instead, instead incentivize the usage of a credit card with point systems. How do you reckon would a retail CBDC change consumer behavior and incentive systems? Cyrus. Well, you have the merchants who have to pay. So, and then if, if the merchants say, well, I don't want to have Visor and, and being paid with, with Visor and, and, and MasterCard because I have to pay too many fees, uh, then um, there you have an incentive to, to have a change. And um, so I suppose that through this way, you will have... Um, or lower fees by Visa and MasterCard to, to compete with it, or or uh, uh, a lower market share of them. What do you think, Brett? Yeah, there will be continuous innovation. Um, you know, incentives, rewards, air miles. Uh, you know, with being able to use a CBDC, you know, multi-CBDC across different jurisdictions, perhaps when traveling with an airline or, you know, booking a hotel, for example, um, then if it stays within a certain, uh, you know, denomination, there could be incentives, um, you, you know, lots of different things, you know, whether or not it be sort of a Netflix service or a music streaming service. Um, this is where the innovation will come for the, you know, the PSPs in, in, in terms of incentivizing, um, you know, Apple with its, um, you know, interest rates as, as well, you know, offering high interest rates to, to attract people to, to put deposits. Um, so yeah, no, no doubt there will be continuous rewards and incentives for, for those um, that, that will be transacting or holding CBDC. Do you agree, Daniel? Yeah, so uh, so, so probably um, to, to answer this question, really, it's, it's a little bit like beyond my competence. Uh, what what we be, what we realized basically, uh, or what we saw as a concern during during the working group, is that the the fee structure of of CBDC is is pra practically regulated uh, by centrally by the European Central Bank and, and and by different actors. And what we what we saw as a concern if that such a regulated fee structure can really compete uh, practically uh, with like. Uh, with like with like actors actors on the market, um, sometimes it's manageable, but yes, so sometimes there's some you know bad experience with like totally centralized um, controlled uh, you know market things basically. So that's what we saw basically as as a concern. Uh, it it might happen. It it might not be a problem at all. So I have one more question. How does the digital euro legal proposal compare to those proposals of other jurisdictions? Do you think we are generally well off with the proposal in the Eurozone or other jurisdictions enabling more exciting forms of digital money via their legal proposal? 
for example, enabling pro programmability. Cyrus? Well, um, I actually don't know many other uh, legal proposals. Uh, if I, I'm looking to the, to the United States and what I have seen there is uh, some years ago, uh, there was a kind of, not even a legal proposal, there was only a first assessment of the pros and cons of a digital dollar. Um, so uh, my, my feeling is that they are lagging behind very much to, to, to uh, the Eurozone and to the ECB, uh, which also is a chance for us in getting more weight uh, uh, in terms of uh, the euro as a as a world uh, currency, um, and so obviously China is is uh, more advanced because they are already in the status of, of doing pilot projects to a larger scale. Um, but uh, admittedly, I don't know any written um, paper on. Uh, the legal basis for for this currency. Um, yeah. Uh, what do you think, Daniel? Yeah. So so basically, I agree. Uh, from my side uh, as well, I I don't know much much other proposals. Uh, what I'm what I'm familiar with uh, is something which is which are the the the, the other initiatives, uh, for instance. And then, uh, but again, if there's like legal proposal behind or not, it's it's not something that I know. So, for instance, if you if you consider China um, from a technological perspective, they they do like a, a hybrid uh, stack with partly centralized ledger and with a very very uh, and with a lot of new cryptographic. Uh, and of course, from a privacy perspective, it's you know certainly not something which is optimal on European market. And I'm not quite sure if there's like uh, practically like legal proposal behind uh, the system is live basically. Uh, uh, like uh, another example, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, as, as far as I saw, like like in the UK, there are like initiatives for considering like like uh, synthetic CBDCs uh, basically. And uh, in the US, uh, there's one initiative that I know that's practically the digital dollar project. Uh, which is uh, which is again uh, that's kind of a semi semi decentralized or semi semi centralized uh, ledger practically, uh, which is built up from scratch uh, totally on like like primitives. I mean primitive algorithms of of, of the Bitcoin, for instance. Uh, but again, it's it's centralized, it's uh, it's controlled and 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 so on. So that might be like the basis, for instance, for a for a digital dollar. But again, I. These are like the 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 platform initiatives. Uh, I'm I'm not quite sure if they have like you know legal proposals behind. Okay, Brett, do you want to add something? Yeah, again, there there are not too many within other jurisdictions. Um, obviously, the ECB and EC are leading the way um, in terms of the legal proposals for for a digital euro. Um, as as Daniel mentioned, there are other initiatives outside of, of central banks um, that are obviously exploring CBDC. Uh, when you look at the Bank of England in terms of programmability, um, you know, I think for the ECB as, as things evolve, whether or not it will come directly from the ECB, because you know, as mentioned, they're looking at 
a, a basic service and it will allow those PSPs and, and fintechs and, and FIs to add the innovation on top. But I think, you know, com- you know conditional payments, programmability, um, certainly within the, let's say, the real estate market, whereby if certain parameters are hit, you know, money goes into escrow and then it's released. Um, even something as, as simple as buying a car, you know, once the car has then, I don't know if, if the agreement was for the car to be serviced prior to the acquisition and, and taking over the ownership of the vehicle, that had then been satisfied, you know, then the next part of the smart contract was facilitated and it would move to the next part of the chain of, of the conditional payments actually being released to, um, you, you know, the car seller. Um, equally, again, the same could be done within supply chains, um, you know, within the certain um, parts of, of those invoices being settled with, with conditional payments. So I think in terms of, of the proposal for the ECB, programmability and, and conditional payments, smart contracts, adding on to different, uh, different iterations of, of an, uh, a digital euro will, will come, may well come from different um, jurisdictions as well. Equally, as I mentioned, that's, that's what stemmed from the Bank of England uh, is having programmability. So I guess we're all still evolving and, and obviously open discussions, um, but um, but yeah. Okay, thank you. So we will end the discussion with a look into the future. Uh, imagine it's the year 2040, where does the digital euro stand and which role does the proposal play for the digital euro project and its further development? We start with Daniel. Yeah, I hope by that time, I mean, I mean, we will see a live system uh, practically uh, that we can use. And then uh, if it will, that will be kind of, you know, a first step of, of future payment innovation, uh, even if that's working as a first step, but that will be like, you know, uh, basis for the for the next steps of, of digital payment innovation. And voila, that's that's probably based on the, you know, I mean, proposal. Yeah. Thank you. Cyrus? Um, yeah, 2040. This is quite some time far from, from now. Um, I, I would say the proposal is a good basis uh, to, to find enough acceptance and to have a good start uh, with the um, digital euro. And so I could imagine that uh, given such a good basis, uh the innovations will also um yeah get advanced and um i think that that by then we we should also have uh more solutions in 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 the direction of tokenization tokenization of assets um at the latest yeah thank you brett how about you yeah, well, uh, hopefully I'll still be around in 2040. But uh, yeah, as Sarah says, it's quite quite some time uh, away. And I guess within blockchain and, and digital assets, uh, you know, one year is almost like dog years. So uh, by 2040, hopefully we, uh, you know, we'll be all running around paying with uh, with the digital euro, you know, digital pound, digital dollar, whatever it may well be. Um, probably be some more crazy advancements with with AI and, and the next big thing by by 2040. But um, certainly within the next three to five years, uh, hopefully we see a good, um, you know, solid uh, payment, um, you, you know, platform, wallets, et cetera, for a digital euro and, and a lot more innovation coming. So, um, yeah, exciting times. And, uh, yeah, fingers crossed that is sooner rather than later. 
Thank you very much. It was a very interesting discussion. I hope our audience is now uh, more informed has now more information on the digital euro and the proposal, and all questions were answered. And we are looking forward to October when the ECB wants to um, tell us their decision on the digital euro and the follow up then on how the development of the digital euro will proceed. Thank you.